Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the show, guys. It is so great to be here today. This episode is going to get to the bottom of a lot of things. I think you're going to really love it. Before I launch into the episode, I want to thank you for being here and remind you that if you are feeling moved by this episode to share it with your family, friends, or anybody in your world, please do so because that's how we get our message out there. And also, you can leave us a review on any of the platforms that you are consuming the podcast on. If you want to connect with me, just go to my website, natnidham.com, and that's where you'll find everything, including how to sign up for my newsletter and even how to sign up for my private membership community on Mighty Networks called the BSP community. Okay, before we jump in, are you interested in harnessing the hallmarks of aging, optimizing your health span, and maximizing your potential? Then Healthgevity definitely has products you want to look into. Committed to developing natural solutions, Healthgevity partners with leading healthcare professionals and organizations around the globe to translate breakthrough science into advanced nutritional supplements. Featuring oral peptides like BPC-157, DNF-10, the satiety peptide, and Pepti-Strong, the first AI-discovered anabolic peptide, that means it helps you to build muscle, through their partnership with Nutrius. These are just three of those ingredients. Some formulas that stand out are BPC and PEA, Ignite Plus for metabolic optimization and weight loss, that's where you'll find the DNF-10, and Longevity for muscle health, which is where you'll find that PeptiStrong. Plus, they've got Telomere Prime, Cardio NAD Plus with NAD3, great new ingredient, and Rejuvenate for targeting so many of the hallmarks of aging. Now, to learn more about which formulas best fit your current health goals, go to healthgev, that's healthgev.com, and use code LONGEVITY to save. All right, let's talk about this episode today. What happens to your gut health when you take antibiotics? Anybody? In this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast, I chat with Colleen Cutliffe of Pendulum Life about the effects of our gut microbiome on our mental health metabolism, energy levels, and learn to pinpoint signs of compromised gut health. Colleen dissects the nuances of probiotics, prebiotics, postbiotics, and symbiotics, all the biotics, and how these elements interact in our gut. In addition, we examine the often underestimated impact of antibiotics on our microbiome and how it can be combated with effective strategies. Finally, we shift our focus to specific strains of bacteria known as acromantia and explore its role in food metabolism, mood regulation. In the same vein, we contemplate on the potential risks of long-term drug use, including GLP-1s, and we also touch a little bit on the impact of metformin on gut health. So Colleen Cutliffe is the CEO and co-founder of Pendulum Therapeutics. She has over 20 years of managing and leading teams in biotech, pharma, and academia. Prior to that, Colleen was a scientist at Elan Pharmaceuticals, she completed her postdoctoral research at Northwestern Children's Memorial Hospital, and the list goes on. Suffice to say, Colleen knows of what she speaks. Now, for more information on Pendulum's products, you can go to pendulumlife.com, and we have a very special offer for the listeners of this episode. So if you want to get some product for yourself, 
you can go to pendulumlife.com forward slash Natalie, and that's N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E. Now, one more thing, one last thing. So listen, now that many of you have added nitric oxide to your daily routine and are supporting healthy circulation, it's time to talk about some key brain ingredients. Berkeley Life's exciting new product complements their nitric oxide foundation supplement called Cognitive Support, and it's centered around naturally optimizing your cognitive health. This new supplement is designed to support key brain functions like processing speed, psychomotor speed, sustained attention, even composite and verbal memory. And the best part, it's a natural stimulant-free formula that's been thoroughly researched and backed by science. Now, when you combine Cognitive Support with Berkeley Life's Nitric Oxide Foundation, you're in for an incredible cognitive boost. The two work together seamlessly to deliver essential ingredients like alpinina galanga, sulforaphane, and lutein's efficiently to the brain, enhancing cognitive performance to its full potential with zero concern of caffeine crash or jitters. All you have to do to get some is go to berkeleylife.com and use practitioner code N-I-D-D-B-L to place your order today. So once again, that code is N like Natalie, I-D-D like David David, B like Berkeley, L like life to place your order today. And now let's jump into the episode. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We have a gut-filling show for you today. (laughs) That was really lame, but I want to welcome Colleen Cutliff to the show from Pendulum Life. Welcome, Colleen. I'm really excited about this conversation. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited too. Yeah, no, we've just, you know, as usual, people know, we've generally have a podcast before the podcast, just getting prep prep for the podcast. So I'm, I was stoked about the interview before I'm even more stoked now. And so we're going to talk about a lot of things to do with the gut and the gut microbiome and specific key strains or keystone strains, I think is what we call them because they're, we've identified them as being particularly important. And, but I think where we decided we were going to start Colleen and I, because Colleen suggested we start with gut health because this is where this is where it stems, right? This this growing understanding that the gut is the source of all good and all not so good that happens in our world. So, you know, maybe Colleen, you can help us to kind of understand like what does gut health really mean? How does it feel like when we have good gut health and bad gut health? And and then I think I'd love us to get into like how does our gut microbiome change? How does that garden evolve as we age? And should we be allowing that evolution? Or is this an evolution we want to shore up because we have certain expectations of how we're going to age? Sure. Well, um, gut health has become a really popular phrase, and I don't think it's going anywhere um, because it is fundamentally important for our health. But I think we all kind of hear gut health. We know we want good gut health. Uh, It's not totally clear how do we get good gut health. But maybe I think the important question is, what does it mean to have bad gut health? And what might we be experiencing that we're trying to solve? Because I generally think that, of course, there are things that we do that are preventative. But um, here, when we think about health and disease, we want to be thinking about both prevention as well as, you know, what is the problem that we're trying to solve here? And so um, things that might let you know that you have poor gut health include 
GI sensitivity. So there are certain foods that cause you to have diarrhea, constipation, gas and bloating. Um, this is one of those things that as we age, we might become more sensitive to certain foods or when we travel, all of a sudden we realize we can't eat certain things that we used to be able to eat before. So at the heart of it, if you have GI distress, that can tell you that you may, might need an improved gut. Um, the second thing is uh, our metabolism. So uh, your gut microbes actually metabolize the food that you eat. And when we are young, we have really diverse um, certain gut microbes that are doing particular metabolism for us. And I think we can all remember a time where we could eat or drink whatever we wanted to. We didn't have to worry about it. Um, and what happens over time is we know that we start to become depleted in some of those really important strains that are there to help us with our metabolism. Um, the third thing is really around energy. So if you mm. find yourself, oh man, I'm not sleeping as well, or after lunch, I really have this terrible, you know, um, post-lunch slump, or I have certain days where I just have brain fog, there's a very important part that your gut plays in your brain function, this gut-brain connection. And so if you have low energy or brain fog or these slumps, that can tell you that you might need to improve your gut health. Um, there's all kinds of other things too around, of course, you know, immune responses and inflammatory responses, but I I think some of the things that we experience are really GI distress, my metabolism isn't as strong as it used to be, and my energy levels have really taken a hit. Um, and maybe the last thing I'll say along metabolism is food cravings. And I'll share with you maybe some really interesting stuff around food cravings and the role that your gut plays in telling your brain you need to eat sweets, fried foods you know, carbs, all the things that we know are supposed to kind of minimize. And so I think these are the kinds of things that you're experiencing that tell you there's an opportunity potentially to go after your gut to help you with these different conditions. Yeah, that's that's great. I think the the fourth thing I, I would love to throw in there, and I'm sure you've got a lot to say about this, is mental health. And I bring it up because it's becoming, it, it's just everywhere. I think next to gut health, mental health is the biggest, one of the biggest issues in our society right now between, you know, there's, there's the immune function for obvious reasons because of the last few years, but coming out, even coming out of the last couple of years, and maybe because of the last couple of years, this whole issue of mental health issues has really, really taken on a whole new spectrum. And, and I, my understanding is that our microbiome is central to what's going on in our heads. And what I find a little bit dismaying is that in the conventional world, people are trying really hard to help people, but they're trying to do it only from a top-down level. And I wonder how much more successful we might be if we started to look at the gut, at least in connect in in at the same time. Absolutely. Um, I so. First of all, um, there is a huge amount of evidence around this gut-brain connection being super important and an important target. Your gut generates GABA, dopamine, serotonin in massive amounts. And not only that, there is literally a tube that goes from your gut to your brain called the vagus nerve. And all these neurotransmitters make their way from the gut to the brain um, and probably vice versa. And, and one of the really interesting things for me personally is that when I started my career, I was working in a pharmaceutical company. We were developing drugs for Parkinson's disease. Mm. And we were entirely focused on the brain. And what happens in Parkinson's and Alzheimer's as well is that you start to get these plaques that form in the brain. And our whole mission was, how do we reduce those plaques? We just obsessed over those plaques and how do we get rid of them in the brain? And that's going to be the, the big key part to reversing or slowing the progression of Parkinson's disease. And um, 
I think one of the most interesting things that I've learned is that you don't just have neurons in your brain. You actually also have neurons in your gut and they're different from the ones in your brain in that the ones in your brain, I think we all know, like you kind of get what you get and that's it. And so if you kill those neurons in your brain, you're kind of done. They don't come back. But the neurons in your gut, they do, they regenerate. They're constantly regenerating and they are able to form all these neurotransmitters. Like I said, they can produce GABA, dopamine, serotonin, and they can send those signals to the brain. Um, And so you have an opportunity to get in with these neurons that actually can regenerate and help them to regenerate better. But probably some of the, the, the most interesting thing that's come out of this is not only do you have neurons in your gut, not only do they regenerate, unlike the ones in your brain, not only do they send signals to your brain, but actually those plaques that we see forming in the brain, we see them first forming in the neurons in your gut. And so it's possible that the, the, the root cause, the stem of this is all the neurons in your gut. And if you could figure out how to regenerate those and get rid of the ones that have kind of started to misfire or started to have these plaques that you could really be hitting it earlier than by the time it all gets to the brain. So a hundred percent, that's a long way of saying, I think there's huge opportunity to go after a gut brain, um, certainly around stress and anxiety with these neurotransmitters, but also around things like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's around these, these plaques. Yeah, no, I think that's so fascinating. I've, I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast below. When I was in nutrition school, I wrote a paper on Parkinson's disease because my aunt had previously been diagnosed or recently been diagnosed and she's since passed because she had a particularly aggressive form that she was gone within three years and she hadn't been diagnosed early in the game. But when I was writing that paper, I came across it was the first time, I and mean, this goes back like 12, 10, 12 years ago, I came across a paper written by a researcher who was postulating exactly what you're saying. And and she had also found evidence in the olfactory nerves in the nose. And she was tying it back actually to exposure, possibly to certain airborne toxins like herbicides and pesticides. And my aunt lived in an agricultural area where there was a lot of spraying going on. And so this person was talking about these Lewy bodies traveling. So she had found evidence. Somehow she'd gotten her hands on some testing that had been done 10 years prior in Parkinson's patients. And she was finding evidence, exactly what you were saying, in the gut of these things and in the nose that, you know, she was talking about, would could they possibly have traveled to the brain from the gut? So, you know, all this just to highlight the critical importance of continuing on this quest of learning and exploring and really solving as much as we can about where the gut goes and and how it becomes dysfunctional and how can we help it to restore its its health right so um absolutely yeah so and and I love that you talk about you know it's it's not always just digestive issues that point you to poor gut health it could be poor skin health it could be so many different immune health all of these different things um And, you know, I know that there's a lot of famous people that have said health begins and ends in the gut. So we have to start there. So here's the next little challenge that that our listeners are faced with. And we all are really probably not you because you know more than the rest of us. But terminology. Right. We go to the health food store or we go to a website or we we're cruising social media and we get slammed with well, you need prebiotics, but no, actually you need postbiotics. Oh no, wait, you need probiotics. And now we need symbiotics. And how do people kind of get their, navigate their way? Like what, what are all these things? How are they different? What do they mean? And what do we really need? (laughs) 
Absolutely. Well, first of all, it is an ever-evolving space as we learn more about the gut. And so what I'm saying today, you know, a year from now, there might be a new terminology that shows up. But at the core of it, um, fundamentally, probiotics are the um, bacteria themselves and the yeast themselves. So this is sort of the living organism that resides inside us, on us. I mean, they're actually everywhere. They're not just in our guts. They're in our nasal cavities. They're in our lungs. They're on our skin. They're they're everywhere. And so the probiotics are the living organisms um, like bacteria and, and uh, yeast and viruses and fungi. Um, Pre, all of them eat. They need to eat to survive just like we do. And so the food that they eat are called prebiotics. And so some of the common prebiotics people might know about are fiber. So like Metamucil is a prebiotic. It's filled with fibers. Um, there's things like polyphenols. Uh, and so um, prebiotics are the food that feed these living organisms, the probiotics. And then there's this phrase called postbiotic, um, which is relatively new. And what it refers to is the output. So what these strains do is they generate all these small molecules. So we talked about, you know, GABA and serotonin, there's short chain fatty acids that get produced by the gut microbiome. And so all of these things that they produce are called the postbiotics. And so the prebiotics feed the bugs, which are the probiotics, which produced postbiotics. And then symbiotic basically means you're just combining any number of these things together. So that's oh, okay. just a term to mean you don't have like a pure one thing. You're you're mixing and matching. Yeah, which there'd be some logic to doing, right? I mean, at the end of the day, like you just described, it's a symbiotic relationship. Like they all help each other. It's, you know, we don't, we don't, one of the, you know, one of the things that people struggle with, and I think we're going to talk about today is there are, I mean, I don't know what the last count is of how many different bugs and, and yeasts and and all the different organisms that live in our gut, but they number in the millions and certainly in terms of population. And then I don't know what the number of species are that we think live there, but whenever we're introducing one or two or three or four, or frankly, even 20, we're talking about a tiny little proportion, right? And 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 helping people to understand is that you know what we're trying to do here is almost start chain reactions because what you were talking about before we even started recording is the idea that whatever this bug is doing is going to support another bug support another bug and could actually circularly come back to support the first guy in the first place so if i wasn't too confusing about that maybe you want to pick that up and make it clear to people <laughs> No, I think that that's right. I mean, this is a um, ecosystem where uh, these different bugs really do interact with each other. I will say probably one of the things that a lot of people don't know is that even though there are, you know, tens of thousands of different, you know, strains and probably more than that as we start to define strains in our bodies, um, the products that are on the shelves are actually, it's a very, very limited amount of that. And so, in fact, you know, when it comes to bacterial strains, if you start to look at labels um, on, on boxes, you'll start to see everything starts with either lactobacillus or bifidobacterium. Um, that's kind of everything on the shelves. And so what's crazy is that there actually has not been a new ingredient introduced to the market in over 50 years. I mean, these are the strains that are in our yogurts, in our probiotic pills and all of that, but yet it's 
it's really the same two strains. And and part of the reason for that is because these are strains that were really easy to culture and to grow. Um, and so you can kind of get them for really inexpensive. So if you're somebody who's making a probiotic, you can get these at a very inexpensive price, slap your label on it, throw it on the shelves. And that's why you have a ton of fly-by-nighters. You have, you know, ever-expanding thousands of different probiotic products out there, but they're actually all premised on these same two strains. And I think that's where the really big opportunity comes. When we talk about the gut metabolism axis, the gut brain axis, the gut skin axis, those are not tapping into, those two strains are not tapping into any of that stuff. So there is a whole new world of next generation probiotics that are going to come to us that are really tackling um, those specific pathways. And that's what's really exciting about this whole field. And, and, and just to go back one second on the symbiotic, which is to say that the prebiotics feed the probiotics who produce the the postbiotics. Um, in fact, we noticed in our clinical trials that if you, um, we have we have strains that are targeting metabolism, um, and and we also have the prebiotic that feed the feeds those strains. And when we did a study with and without that prebiotic, you needed the prebiotic there for these guys to work. And so they really do function in concert with each other. It makes a lot of sense to put the players together that are going to work together. Right. And so. I mean, I don't, I don't want to get too specific about your products yet, but do you package the prebiotic with the postbiotic, with the probiotic, or do you deliver them separately? And if you deliver them separately, is there a reason for that? Do you, do you, do they need to be separated, or is it would it be better for them to come together? Does yeah. Well, the answer is annoyingly, it depends. <laughs> so, and listen, that's, that's the answer I give people 99% of the time. And I'm pretty sure somebody out there wants to poke my eyes out. Because, because yeah, she says no, that one more time. <laughs> nobody likes that answer. Unfortunately, it's the most honest answer. So um, there are certain situations where we know that you want to have them together because you want to deliver them together. And, and in those situations, I think about it like um, if I were to be dropped off on a deserted island, would I rather be dropped off by myself or with a cooler full of beers and sandwiches? I want them, my beers and sandwiches with me. And so in those cases, we're trying to give the microbes the best chance of reconstituting by having their food with them. In other scenarios, you actually, it's fine to have them separate because what you're really doing is you're trying to dose. So you need to have a ton of this prebiotic because you're not just feeding that strain that you're trying to grow, but you're trying to feed other strains that are also going to be helpful. And so in that case, you kind of, you know, might have two pills, two separate ways to deliver because you're really trying to ramp it up in the body. And so, um, so it sort of depends on what the goal is. Yeah. Well, that makes perfect sense. And then at some point I would love us to even talk about where food comes in because, you know, we've got all these supplements, but at the end of the day, you cannot out supplement a bad diet. Um, and I think we, we all know this, those of us who are in the business and people who've been trying to survive on really junk, bad junk food, and then just pop a bunch of supplements and think that they're going to make it all go away. The sad reality is, not going to really work that way. So, um, so, and, and there's ways, I, again, like to your point, you know, as much as you're going to take a, may take a prebiotic to support your probiotic, there's still more you could be doing through just eating the right foods. Yeah. I mean, as much as I would like to support my diet of, uh, you know, donuts, French fries, and bourbon. Unfortunately, we do have to think about nutrition, which is sometimes a little harder than popping a pill, but absolutely nutrition and the microbiome are tied at the hip. And I think about it like a car. So you could have an amazing car with this, you know, high powered engine, uh, but you also need to feed it the right top top end fuel. And so the engine of your car is your gut microbiome. The fuel is your nutrition and what you're eating. So it's a combination of the fuel you're putting into your body and the engine that you have that's metabolizing that fuel that allows you to be 
really healthy. And so if you only think about one and not the other, you're kind of missing the two parts that you need. So nutrition is super important. So thinking about foods that are high in these prebiotics that feed your your probiotic strains um, is super important. And so uh, absolutely, you got to think about nutrition too. Yeah. So before we move on to our next topic, which we have all set up, I'm really excited about that. What are your views on nutrition? Because nutrition's become like religion. It's become one of the, you know, a very difficult topic. Uh, You almost can't talk about it in public anymore because people get very emotional. They get very, you've got lots of different factions out there. Um, I just received a new book today, which I love because their tagline is, this book will signify the end of the diet wars. Um, And I'm curious to know, given your background and the business that you're in, what's your perspective on diet? And I know it depends because I say it depends to people (laughs) all the time, but do you feel that there are certain, you know, there's certain tenets that we could carry across, which obviously we will include not including, you know, donuts, bourbon, beer, and, and whatever the other thing was that you talked about. French fries, French French fries. fries. Let's not forget French fries (laughs) or the hot chicken sandwich. Yes. Okay, now I'm starving. Um, yeah, I, well, first of all, the the battle of diets and nutrition is not a new one. I mean, you can look back over time and see eggs are good for you, eggs are terrible for you. Everybody should be drinking milk every day. Oh my gosh, you should never drink milk. And so I I think that this is not a new battle. And and part of it is because it is it depends. Everyone's looking for that one solution, and and there really isn't one. So that's part of the the issue. So. They'll keep going on as long as everyone's looking for the one solution. And I think we're all going to be looking for the one solution forever. So these battles will always exist. That being said, you know, I can come at it from a, we know that there are foods that are bad for us and they will always be bad for us. We know that things that are really high in, you know, fat are are not going to be, and, you know, these really, these deep fried foods. I mean, I grew up in the South. I love deep fried foods, but we're not really ever going to see a report that says you should live off of, you know, burgers and fries for the rest of your life and you're going to be just fine. So there's some things we know that are that are bad for us. Um, and there's some things, conversely, that we know that are that are always going to be good for us. And and I'll just take this from the angle of the gut microbiome, um, because the things that I think are always going to be good for us on a, from a nutrition standpoint are the things that are feeding our microbes that are providing beneficial functions for us. And so... For example, we know that our gut microbiome is responsible for producing short-chain fatty acids, so butyrate, acetate, propionate. And we know that these are super important small molecules for not only our colonic cells, but also the other cells in our body. So for example, we'll talk about butyrate for, we'll do one quick deep dive on butyrate. Um, Butyrate uh, is the source of energy for all your colon cells. So your colon cells are different from every cell in your body in that all the other cells in your body use glucose as their primary source of energy, but your colon cells use use butyrate as their source of energy. And so if you're not producing enough butyrate, you're basically not giving your colon the energy that it needs. And low levels of butyrate have been associated with things like colon cancer, you know, poor GI and all of that. So butyrate plays a really important role in colon health. Butyrate also plays a really important role in that it stimulates your microbiome to produce GLP-1. And GLP-1 is a small molecule that is becoming very popular now, which is known to not only help you metabolize sugars, but also to help you um, have a sense of satiety so that you're not hungry all the time. It's basically your body's natural way of saying, we just ate something, let's metabolize the sugars and let's tell our brain we don't need to eat anymore. And so butyrate is this incredibly important small molecule that helps you not only with colon health, but also with your metabolism and satiety and not having cravings. Your microbiome is the primary producer of butyrate. 
And those microbes that produce butyrate live off of fiber. So inulin, things, fruits, vegetables, anything that's high in those fibers will always be good for your gut health, will always be part of a, a strong nutrition plan. So, you know, those kinds of things in nutrition, I think they're not really going to go away. Um, and so that would be my two cents on what I think will always be a part of good nutrition and probably always better bad nutrition. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, what are your thoughts on eating the rainbow? That that expression, eat as many different vegetables as you can and fruits. And, you know, for me, I, I you know, the, the phrase is fruits and vegetables. I like to say vegetables and fruits because I also think our food has changed over the centuries. And fruit today is not what fruit was a couple of hundred years ago. Maybe you wouldn't be driven to eat quite as many peaches a couple of hundred years ago because maybe they wouldn't have been quite as sweet, quite as juicy, quite as appealing as they are now. Um, but setting that aside, right, by today's standards, do you, do you, do you subscribe to this idea of in as much as, you know, there's a lot of evidence that our food supply is not quite as nutrient dense as maybe it might've been at some point, nevertheless, is, is this idea of providing different colors going to provide our guts with what it needs to kind of do its work for us? You know, potentially, I think it's probably a lot more relevant where your foods come from, you know, how they're grown, uh, you know, how they've been modified, uh, you know, the the evolution of farming, I think, is probably more important than the simplicity of getting different colors on your plate. So unfortunately, that takes work, <laughs> legwork yeah. to go yeah. figure out the source of your food. But I think that's probably more important than going for this color scheme because of all the things that actually you just mentioned. Um, yeah. I, I think it's not necessarily um, it's it's a it's a hard world to navigate, uh, but but it really matters where your food came from. Yeah, and then your thoughts before we move to our next topic because you've already introduced it a minute ago with the metabolism and blood sugar and stuff. But but your thoughts a little bit on the impact of some of the you know the glyphosates and some of the chemicals that are being used in industrial farming and in in the world. Have you seen in your research, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know how long, just, I don't know how much you've delved into it, but the impact of those compounds on the microbiome and can we overcome that with, you know, I've talked to, I interviewed one woman who, who said that their research um, showed that there was a particular bacterial strain and I can't remember whether it was a, a bifido or a lacto, but there was a, there was a particular species that seemed to be helpful in breaking down glyphosate in the gut. Have you have you looked into that area at all? And what are your thoughts? So we haven't done research on that. There is uh, a lot of research going on around the world trying to understand, you know, what are the impact of these different, um, you know, molecules on our gut microbiome. And and to be honest with you, the the publications sometimes are contrary to each other. And so mm-hmm. I think the answer is probably the jury is still out on what these different things are doing. And people have their own biases. I mean, there have been you know reports coming out around, you know, artificial sweeteners and things like that. And, yeah. and you can find articles <laughs> that say it's terrible for your gut and ones that say it's good for your gut and ones that say it doesn't do anything. So I think that, you know, the fact is it, it and again, we'll get back to the annoying thing of it depends. It depends on, you know, you and your microbial ecosystem and whether you're set up to be able to metabolize these things or not. And so, um, you know, I think it, it really is going to be hard to find kind of these blanket statements, especially because people's microbiomes are so variant from person to person. I think mm-hmm. it's going to be tricky. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, 
But I mean, I think that over time, I mean, when we talk about the things that negatively impact the microbiome and we're talking about whether we're talking about toxins and maybe you want to get into this a little bit, like the external factors like chronic stress or um, so we talked about the effect of the microbiome on mental health, but at the same time, exposure to chronic stress, what will that, will that impact our microbiome? And I, I think that, you know, as you mentioned, the vagus nerve, it's a two-way street kind of thing. Um, maybe talking, maybe exploring, a, touching on a little bit, some of the different things in our external world that can negatively impact that microbiome aside from food. Absolutely. Well, um, the, the, most impactful thing to the microbiome is taking antibiotics. So antibiotics are like a, you know, nuclear bomb to your microbiome. Um, And and to to be clear, I'm not an anti-antibiotic or they say millions of lives. If you have an infection and your doctor tells you to take antibiotics, please take the full course. Um, But it does decimate your microbiome. So the the most dramatic thing you can do to your microbiome is take an antibiotic. Um, And then the second thing that impacts your microbiome is what we were discussing is the food that you eat. So um, those two are are kind of the the, the biggest things that that can swing your microbiome one way or another. Now, beyond that, one of the things that we're learning is that there are all these other external factors which can modify your microbiome. And maybe I would say, let's get more specific, they can start to deplete your microbiome. So as we said, you know, having a diversity of foods that you're eating allows you to have diversity of microbes that are in your gut. um, And that allows you to have all these different functions that are important for health. And we know that that diversity is super important, especially on those particular microbes. Um, but what can happen over time as we age uh, is that we can start to become depleted in those microbes. So as simply by aging, we start to become depleted in those microbes. For us women, when we go through menopause, we start to lose certain microbes. When you go through periods of intense stress, everybody has been through that, and even chronic stress, you start to lose certain microbes. When you travel and day becomes night and night becomes day, you can start to lose different microbes. And so there are a lot of things that are just associated with being a human being. We're all going to go through stress. We're all going to age unless there's some terrible reason you can't we're all going to want to travel and so i think that you know we're not going to stop living but we should know that these things are depleting our microbiome um even if you have a great diet and even if you are exercising and trying to watch what you're doing you don't have control over some of these things that deplete your microbiome and this gets us to some of these keystone strains that i know we'll get into where it's been observed that in particular there's one strain that you get depleted in in all these circumstances stress aging, from diet, antibiotics, menopause, travel. And so there's one strain that has been kind of really globally started to become observed that you get depleted in that's associated with all these different health issues. Um, And uh, understanding the role of that starts to help us understand how can we start to battle these things that are causing our microbiomes to become depleted. Yeah, I love that answer. Thank you. No, that's that's 100%. And So for people who, um, and they say that your microbiome is established pretty early in life, um, like whatever your personal kind of natural microbiome diversity is going to be established. I think it's in the first, is it the first two years or the first five years of life that, that kind of establishes, and because we talked about this, everybody's garden is going to be a little different than the next guy's. Um, And so but by the time we're two years old, it's kind of like, I think it's two, your your garden's established and good, bad, or ugly, you're going to be dealing with rebalancing. And is it possible? 
and and I I mean my I've heard that it's not possible to really restore proper balance to, for example, a person who was born by C-section, fed formula, formula fed food, and therefore, you know, was kind of set up for a microbiome that is depleted out of the gate. And you can never really, or can you fix it? I 100% believe you can fix it. And I have, you know, my daughter was preemie, had multiple antibiotics, had particular health issues. She has been taking very specific, you know, regimen of diet and probiotics, and she is totally fine now. I mean, she's a teenager, so she's got a different set of problems, yeah. but her <laughs> health issues are are totally resolved. The microbiome is an incredible opportunity because because you can modify it and because you are actually modifying it all the time. And so if you believe that your microbiome can be altered in one direction, then you have to believe that it can be altered in another, in the opposite direction. So I do not believe at all. I would stand and do a debate uh, toe to toe with anybody who suggested that, you know, whatever the microbiome is that you have at two years old, you're screwed forever. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. This is something that you can change and that you can change for the better. And there is nothing about it that is preset in stone. This is on the, the, the nurture side of the house and not the nature side of the house. Great. I like to hear that. And so once, if if somebody has to take up an antibiotic, which happens, I mean, like you said, antibiotics can be life-saving. And, you know, I talk to people all the time. Oh, you know, I've got strep. I don't want to take antibiotics. I'm like, you got strep, get your antibiotics, deal with yes. it all out later. Like just, <laughs> you know, having been on the wrong side of that equation, not that I didn't take antibiotics. I didn't know I had strep, went systemic. You don't want to go there ever. So what do you, are there certain strategies that you think, um, are somewhat universal in terms of offsetting the damage of a of a of an antibiotic after and and I've heard research stated that if you take probiotics during the course and continue after you might have a better it might be easier to kind of reestablish that balance even though it's kind of a cat and mouse game while you're on the antibiotic you're taking the probiotic it gets killed then you take an antibiotic you know and kind of go back and forth yeah, I, I used to believe that it made no sense to take a probiotic while you're taking an antibiotic because it's basically just going to kill your strains. But but yes, there has been some really good papers that have come out showing that if you are on a probiotic, a particular types of probiotics and strains that um, and you stand them through the course of the antibiotics, you're actually able to bounce back better on the other side of the antibiotics. Um, and I would say so. So there are there is good evidence that um, trying to keep your um, your gut constituted with with probiotics through the course of antibiotics uh, can be helpful. Um, the other thing I would say is that, you know, one of the things that people uh, experience when they're on anti- antibiotics are, is GI distress. And so sometimes, you know, even taking those probiotics to counter that GI distress can, can help you kind of get through the entire course of the antibiotic. Um, farmers have been giving their cattle antibiotics for decades because they noticed that when they gave them antibiotics, they became more obese. And it's not that they were trying to alter their microbiomes, it's just that that's just true. And so uh, that study has been replicated in humans. And we know that babies and toddlers who are systematically on lots of antibiotics are also more prone to obesity and type 2 diabetes as they get older. So not only can you kind of try to counteract the antibiotics by having a probiotic, you can also counteract by thinking about the fact that you almost get a reset start a refresh when you take an antibiotic. You now have a completely depleted, empty blank slate microbiome 
And as I said, the second thing that you can do to really alter your microbiome beyond antibiotics is nutrition. So this is your chance when you're coming off an antibiotic or while you're taking it to really, if you're ever going to do a fad diet where you're like, I'm going to get super nutrition, I'm going to eat a ton of fibers, that is the time to do it. And so um, coming off an antibiotic, thinking about high fiber foods that are really going to give yourself a jumpstart to the right gut microbes can help you battle what can end up being chronic issues. And so a lot of times I think what ends up happening is that after people are on antibiotics, they're not really feeling well, they might have lost weight while they're on them. They're, you know, going to, maybe they were feeling sick, so they weren't really eating all their favorite foods. And now all of a sudden you can eat again and you're going straight for that burger and fries. And so I think that um, being really thoughtful around those first few weeks trying to reconstitute your microbiome with healthy foods can be really impactful for avoiding those uh, downstream impacts of, of antibiotics. Like a rebound. I love that. Thank you. Okay, good. So you re- you've mentioned metabolism a couple of times. And so let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, balance, managing blood sugar and metabolism and this whole conversation, which you know, the insight that obviously these two things are inherently bound to longevity and health span and, you know, how some of the drugs that are used to control for type two diabetes and, and, and a poor metabolism of sugar at the end of the day are now being used as longevity drugs. So, you know, of course I speak to metformin, but there are others. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I think it's not, an accident that these drugs, which have been developed for people with type two diabetes, um, have been uh, people sort of taken note of them and started to try to take them for longevity. You know, metformin, of course, the more recent GLP ones like Ozempic and things like that, um, are are really being used by otherwise healthy people, so people that don't have type two diabetes, to help improve lifespan. And it's because at the core of healthy aging is the ability to metabolize sugars. And um, we were saying this earlier, you don't have to be a PhD scientist or a medical doctor to know that your metabolism slows down over time and very specifically your ability to metabolize sugars. And so your body's ability to metabolize sugars starts to become a really important target for um, longevity and and having you know a, a, a healthy aging process. And so um, the, the gut metabolism axis is for me kind of the most fascinating thing, just purely selfishly. I mean, I, we, I talk about metabolism because I think about metabolism all the time. And as we age, we think about our slowing metabolism. What can we do to improve it? Um, and so I, and, and, you know, probably fundamentally, most people don't think about probiotics and metabolism. They mostly think about probiotics and GI health, but everything you eat is metabolized by your gut microbiome. And so it is incredibly important for your metabolism. And in fact, there are certain foods that we eat that can only be metabolized by our gut bugs. We can't even metabolize them ourselves. And so this is where unlocking the gut metabolism axis becomes super important. And um, your gut is actually, your microbes in your gut are um, have all the precursors to be able to help you metabolize sugars better. There's an entire system that we've evolved that lets your body know you just ate food and it's got sugar in it. We got to metabolize that sugar. We have to tell our brain that we're full so we're not eating again. And all of those systems live in your gut microbiome. And so as you go through these periods of stress and aging and all this stuff, you can lose those particular microbes. And so all we're studying and trying to do is to figure out 
What are those things that you lose that help your body know, I just ate a meal, I don't need to eat anymore. I just ate a meal, I need to metabolize my sugars um, and give them back to people to help them have better satiety and, and, and control over their cravings and to help them metabolize glucose better. And so the gut metabolism axis is probably one of the most powerful things that we can start to uncover for longevity uh, and metabolizing sugars. Hey folks, about a year ago, I became aware of Level Up Health when the founder and formulator, Kyle Vanderlees, reached out to me in my Facebook community. We had a long chat. I tried a few of his life-changing formulations and the rest, as they say, is history. We even recorded a second podcast episode. Level Up Health's product range is truly unique. Their ultimate GI repair combines the best naturopathic botanicals and nutritionals with powerful orally bioavailable peptides used in functional and integrative medicine to give their customers products that work and help you achieve your health goals. Be that gut health and healing, liver detoxification, reducing inflammation, supporting brain function, or biohacking and optimizing your health. The feedback from community members has really been incredible. Each product formulation was created to address specific health goals and to reduce the many, like six to 12 products sometimes you might need to take to simplify it down to an all-in-one product. Level Up also has formulations like Hista Resist and plus Liver Complex. They also have a range of powerful solo ingredient products, many of which are quite unique on the market such as DHM, dihydromyricetin, and palmitoyl ethanolamide, which is PEA. And the range continues to grow every month. Now, to learn more, you're going to want to check out their website, which is leveluphealth.com. And there's no ease in level. So lvluphealth.com to see the full range of unique products Level Up has to offer. And make sure to use code NAT10 for 10% off your order. Let's get back to the episode. You mentioned earlier about the role of the gut microbiome in driving cravings. Do you want to maybe unpack that a little bit for us? Because people talk about this all the time, right? It's like, it, well, all the time. There's a certain faction of people that talk about how the sugar cravings, the the cravings for fatty foods, the all of these things. Yeah, there's something going on in the brain. And, you know, the magic of the GLP-1 agonist is it is it affects those those centers in the brain that drive that that pleasure, that hedonic kind of driver in the brain that drives us to eat foods. But at the same time, you were just talking about GLP-1 that is produced in the gut um, or in the microbiome and how it can also kind of offset this. So maybe talking a little bit about the role of the microbiome in, in driving those food cravings. Absolutely. Okay. So we'll do a little like quick biology 101 here. So, um, when you eat foods, they're metabolized by certain gut microbes that stimulate your cells to produce GLP-1. And then GLP-1 has two roles. You know, one is that it goes out and stimulates insulin production so that your body can metabolize sugar. And the other, actually the mechanism isn't entirely known, but the other is that it tells your brain, we just ate, so we don't need to eat anymore. So it creates this feeling of fullness. And so um, the these gut microbes that do this metabolism and stimulate GLP-1 production are, are super important. And, and the other thing to know about GLP-1 is that it happens really as you're eating. It's a reaction to eating that happens in your microbiome. So your GLP-1 levels are actually supposed to go up. They spike in your blood after you've eaten, and then they 
they go back down and then you get hungry, you know, again, you eat a meal and then they spike. And so your GLP-1 is supposed to kind of be going up and down all the time in your body. Um, and what happens for people who are losing these bugs is that they don't get that really high spike of GLP-1. They kind of have a lower spike or they're not really not producing the GLP-1 stimulus. And so now they're not metabolizing the sugars and their brain isn't being told, we just ate, we don't need to eat anymore. And so... Um, there is a very specific strain. There's actually only been two strains known to date that can stimulate GLP-1 production. Um, and one of them is Acromancia mucinophila. The other is um, Clostridium butyricum. Um, and Acromancia has the added, and so these are two strains that help you metabolize your food and stimulate GLP-1 production. They're the only two that have ever been found, and, and you're actually not going to find them on labels except for ours. Um, and so uh, that's one way in which you can reduce cravings. And the other is that Acromancia is also a putative producer of GABA. And GABA is a neurotransmitter which has been known for a long time to help reduce stress and anxiety. And so what this one strain is doing is it's stimulating GLP-1, which tells you you're full, and it's producing GABA, which tells you to calm down and brings kind of all, everything down. And so when you are feeling less stress and anxiety, everyone who's felt stress or anxiety knows that the first thing you do is you go to the pantry and you're eating. So by reducing stress and anxiety and increasing GLP-1 production, you're actually helping your body reduce cravings. And we kind of knew this pathway was somewhere, we knew that acromancy was potentially doing this, and this was the pathway underlying some of our products. But the, the most interesting that happened was that we never actually studied satiety, but we had all these customers coming back and telling us, I'm on this product because it helps me reduce my cravings. I just went to a holiday party and I passed the table of Christmas cookies. And usually I'm the guy sitting at the table eating all of them. And I didn't have a single one. People are realizing that they have reduced cravings specifically around sugar and high fat, but also carbs. Um, and that that is one of the things that they're most looking for. And that's the same thing that people are looking for with some of the, these other drugs as well, because it sort of starts you in, in a nice kind of jump start to good health, because at the core of these cravings is um, something that feels a little bit out of our control. Well, I have these cravings and I, I can only satiate them by eating this food. And so by not having the cravings, it actually allows you to make better health choices, better nutrition choices. And that gets you on this really nice, uh, you know, cycle of, of positive reinforcement. And so um, your microbiome can help you reduce your sugar cravings um, and help you produce GLP-1, which also helps you reduce your cravings. And so it's a huge opportunity. That's amazing. I'm, I don't think a lot of people know that, right? And I, I think that I think that the GLP one agonist peptides that are out there right now are, I think they can be really powerful for certain people, but they are becoming disturbingly the go-to because they're easy, um, and although they're expensive, but I mean they're it's easy, right? Do a shot a week, I'm good to go, but. I would imagine that using a GLP-1 agonist is not doing anything to rebuild that microbiome in the direction you need it to go so that down the road, you don't need to be on it and you re restore your GLP-1 population. So do you think that there's a world where, you know, a person who does need that push from the Ozempic or Munjaro, whatever the case may be, would benefit from at the same time. And I'm always telling people, look, while you're taking these compounds, this is the time to change your diet. This is the time when the food noise is a little quieter. This is the time to re-educate your palate, to reshape your habits, to get back to exercise, because otherwise we know the body's going to dump whatever it needs to, to save energy and your muscle is expensive. So it's going to dump that first, honestly. Um, but is there, is there, 
is there an opportunity here to say to someone who's taking a GLP-1 agonist at the same time, can you lean into at the same time rebuilding that that acromancia population in the gut so that you can eventually kind of move away as you're doing that work or or would it be redundant no no you're absolutely right so this is sort of the equivalent of teaching someone how to fish versus giving them the fish so when you're taking these glp1 um drugs you're basically giving your body the fish and you have to live and so you need to get the fish right and to your point there's a lot of food noise or a lot of what this does is it gives someone a tool to be able to um battle some of these issues that they they haven't really been able to win at in the past and so um you would take these drugs which is giving yourself the fish so that you have the um you know reduce satiety and you're helping your body metabolize sugars. And at the same time, um, improving your nutrition, giving your body acromancia allows you to then teach your body how to fish. So now your body will naturally be able to, as you eat food, it will naturally be able to produce its own GLP-1. This is really two different ways to come at the problem. So there is, I think it's an awesome, you know, what you're describing is awesome because you're giving your body the fish and then you're giving your body the ability to fish so that eventually if you want to, you can maybe start to titrate you know, back some of these things and and be able to produce it yourself. And so I think that is great advice. I 100% support that. Yeah, I think, you know, because people keep asking, like, am I going to be on this stuff forever? And you've got a population of people who are like, I'm going to be on this stuff forever. Like, this is amazing. I don't need to think about it. But, you know, as much as these compounds have been tested, and they've been declared as being safe by the pharmaceutical company, you mentioned earlier, there's still some questions to be answered. We're starting to see some people having negative effects, which we don't know why. We don't know if it's particular to those people, if they had a pre-existing condition, whatever the case may be. But wouldn't it be great to say, this is a crutch I will use temporarily while creating, recreating my environment, recreating my habits so that eventually I can toss the crutch because you know what, even if you were walking with a crutch indefinitely, it would change your body. It would change your alignment. It would cause your shoulder to go up and your with this to go down and there would be a consequence an imbalance. And so, you know, even if, if we could start to see even practitioners starting to approach it in this way, as they gain greater understanding of what's actually going on, um, hopefully we'll start to see the consumer becoming better educated and saying, okay, this is what I need to do. I need to take my essential amino acids to protect my muscle. I need to exercise. I need to change my habits. And I need to get access to this these strains so that I can rebuild my own capacity that somehow, for whatever reason, I lost along the way. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, right now, if somebody is taking those drugs, they might not be experiencing side effects. And and that all, you know, feels feels great in the moment. And 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 honestly, these drugs, because they're because, as I said, GLP one's supposed to go up and down in your bloodstream based on when you're eating, um, eating. Uh, but what these keep your GLP one at high levels sustainably. That's why you see such an immediate response. You know, people go on them and it's like overnight, all of a sudden, you know, things are better. And, and also conversely, when they go off of them overnight, everything gets worse. And so what you're doing is you're really kind of keeping at these really high levels. And while you're relatively healthy and all of your organs are working great, you know, that's probably fine. You're not going to feel any, you know, terrible side effects. 
The problem is that all of our organs don't remain fine and optimally functioning as we age. And we know that, you know, things like our kidneys and our liver, you know, when these things start to um, age, that you might start to experience side effects later. And we also don't know, you know, long-term um, having those sustained really high GLP-1 levels, you know, what you're doing. It's like if someone, you know, comes in with a loudspeaker, you know, you're going to hear that message. But if someone's always in your ear with this loudspeaker over and over, <laughs> eventually you're going to tune it out. So, you know, you don't want to kill your, your the, the cells that are supposed to be the responders by kind of overstimulating them all the time. So I think there's potential downstream risk on that front. But I, but but again, you know, these drugs are so powerful. They're such powerful tools for people who, um, you know, other things haven't really been working. I'm all for like, get the positive reinforcement, start to build up your body's natural ability to do this thing and then figure out, I mean, I personally would, would want to titrate back. Um, but I, I think that we are going to learn some of these longer term negative um, outcomes. Uh, and unfortunately for the people who are the, you know, at the forefront right now taking them, they're, they're going to be the ones that are going to tell us what happens over yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Well, I mean, you know, I love that there's a glimmer of hope of how to use them properly and then how to introduce things that can get you off. And I think that that, I, I would think that most people are open to that conversation and, and we're, would willingly dive in. So there's a lot to be done there. So, but we were going to talk about blood sugar uh, the, we were talking about, you started to talk about metformin, which we, you know, there's something about GLP-1 that just dominates the conversation whenever it comes up. Um, and I'm as guilty of it as anybody. But going back to metformin, I'm curious about your thoughts on how there are some people that tolerate metformin really well. They're able to use the baby dose. And, and you know, there's always, again, metformin, there's no real free lunch, right? There's a possibility that there's a negative impact on mitochondria, I think it is, and and muscle building, this, that, and the other thing. But there are some people who literally do not tolerate metformin. Like it sends, you know, it has a massive napalm kind of effect on their guts. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like why that might be? Or well, there have been quite a few studies trying to understand the um well, how metformin actually works. <laughs> and then an also yeah. <laughs> and then also, you know, whether it might play a role, whether it might actually function through the gut microbiome. And so there have been conflicting papers. There are papers showing that uh, you know, one of the ways that that metformin works is actually through improving the gut microbiome, and that's what's help what helps you metabolize sugars better. And there's other papers that say that metformin destroys your gut microbiome, and so it's you know really the cause of all these GI issues that that some people experience. Um, and and again, I think we'll get back to this. It depends on what the constitution of your microbiome is, what's happening you know with your metabolic state. But I think that you know what we have observed is that people who cannot really tolerate metformin or they can't tolerate the full dose because of GI distress can really benefit from introducing certain microbes um, simultaneously or even before you go into metformin and see whether that can help kind of counter the GI issues of metformin. But, you know, I think we there's still a lot more work to be done. We don't really understand is metformin helping or hurting the microbiome. Um, what we do know is it has an impact on GI. Even for people that can tolerate it, many people report, you know, GI issues. And so um, it's doing something to the gut. I think we don't exactly know what. Yeah. And it's helping with blood sugar regulation, which to your point, if it works for people, you know, there is, there's an argument that says from a longevity perspective, whatever we can do to optimize our ability to metabolize sugar, you know, there's always the lower your intake of sugar, but at the same time, you're going to get sugar in your diet. 
Um, and so anything we can do to optimize our ability to metabolize it and move it out is going to put us in, in a good position. So, okay. So all of a sudden I was sitting there going, we have so much time and now there's not that much time left and we still have two really big topics to talk cover. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump to the next one. I'm not waiting for the natural segue. I want to talk about testing because it's a really, really hot topic. People, again, like the consumer is getting thrown around from one end of the room to the other saying, this is the best gut test. No, none of these gut tests are any good because they're not, you know, something that you've said a few times in this interview is that your gut changes all the time. So at the end of the day, whenever you do do a gut test to test your microbiome or who's living in your gut at this very minute, in the best case scenario, you're getting a snapshot of what's happening now. And we know that a transatlantic flight or a couple of really bad meals or whatever the case may be can make that, can change that within 24 to 48 hours. So when it comes to testing, do you recommend people test and how much stock should they be putting into it? And is there a particular test that you think is better than the kind of stands out above the rest? Um, yeah, I think if you're going to take a gut microbiome test, the first question to ask yourself is, you know, why am I taking this test? What am I, what am I trying to solve here? What am I trying to look for? And, and what am I going to do on the other side of this test? I mean, I think we're a, a, you know, group of people that like to collect a lot of data for which we have like, don't, can't do anything on the other side of it with. And so I think the first question is, you know, what are you trying to do with this data? What do you want to use it for? Um, and, and I think that this can be done, you know, obviously independently, a lot of people can run these, get these tests done, but I think doing it with a healthcare practitioner is also super helpful. Somebody who really can help you understand what is this test telling you? Because these are not, um, most of the tests that, that consumers are buying are not, regulated. They're not, um, you know, CLIA certified tests. They're not diagnostic tests. And so there's no real regulation to even talk about what are the right standards for the tests? How should the test be, you know, um, run? You know, what is the reporting standardized method of reporting things? And so you're kind of in a hodgepodge of that. There are actually gut microbiome tests that um, require a you know doctor to get for you that you actually can't get on your own. And so some of those are really designed to you know for you to work with a practitioner on. So in my opinion, there's a couple of issues with the current. Um, tests that are available out there. You know, one is what are you supposed to do with this information? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and an unregulated arena, really, what do you, what, what can you do with the information? Um, the second thing is that, you know, there's a race to the bottom on pricing. And so if you really want to get a comprehensive look at your microbiome, so we do, um, analyses of microbiomes, uh, not as a test that we sell, but we spend about two to $3,000 per sample analyzing it. And if you really want to understand what's happening in somebody's tool, that's how much it costs per sample. And to your point, because your microbiome is always changing, you need to have multiple of these over time to understand what is the baseline and when, is, when are things changing. And so, you know, what are you going to do with this, this uh, analysis? And then the fact that these guys all have to get to a price point that a consumer can afford, meaning it's a spotty test at best. It's not going to really give you all the information you need. And then just the skepticism that anybody should have around a company that is selling both the problem and the solution. So if they're selling a test and then they're telling you, oh, the solution to your problem is, oh, it turns out in this store that where I happen to sell all my stuff, um, you should be wary about that just because, you know, where are they actually making their their money. And so um, I don't want to sound like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm down on, you know, these markets, but these are markets where people are trying to make money. So um, I, I think the important thing when thinking about testing is that it's still in the early stages. I have every belief that tests are going to 
become amazing sometime in the future. I personally, you know, don't take up microbiome tests and I don't recommend people do them unless they really are doing it alongside their practitioner who can help them analyze the results. Most of these gut microbiome tests are um, sequencing based and then some of them are qPCR based. And so what that means is that your microbiome, as we sort of alluded to, is almost like this, this forest of all these different things that are growing in there. A sequencing-based test will tell you what are all the things that are growing in your forest. So it gives you kind of this overview of what are the different types of fauna that you have in your forest. Um, a qPCR-based test basically says, okay, I want to know how many four-leaf clovers are actually in my forest. Mm. And that will tell you how many of something very specific are in there. So if you're trying to quantitate a very specific strain, you want to really be going after a quantitative, a qPCR-based test. And if you want to know, are there big gaps, um, you want a sequencing-based test. Um, the only, when, and we've actually um, tested a bunch of these tests ourselves. Um, and the one that I think has really kind of come out on top for me uh, is is one that is from uh, DSL Diagnostic Solutions Lab. Um, it's their GI map. And it really does look at, you know, what a quantitative uh, PCR-based test, specific strains. And it also kind of can give you an overview of all the different strains. You need a doctor to get it for you. You can't actually get it just as a consumer, but even more reason to do it, you know, so that you can talk to your practitioner about it. Um, I think it's a, that's kind of the only test out there that I think is doing a pretty good job. Yeah. No, thank you for that. I mean, look, I did gut testing with a practitioner because, you know, as much as I talk to lots of people and I learn lots of stuff at the end of the day, you don't want to be doing your own. And, and I learned a lot. I mean, it wasn't the GI map. It was a different one, but it was not cheap. <laughs> it was, yes. it was an expensive test, but it's part of the reason why, you know, I picked up the phone and said, okay, I need, I need some of your stuff. I'm like, I'm, I seem to be depleted. Um, and, but, but also, you know, it's interesting because at the time it was showing that m my levels of one certain thing with an enzyme that de decouples estrogens in the gut from after they've been bound in the liver, it, it breaks that bond. And so that gives the estrogen an opportunity to get reabsorbed into the body, which is not a good thing. And it showed my levels were, I think, 10x or 6x what they should be. So I'm sitting here pounding the calcium deglutarate, but at the same time wondering, you know, like, what do I need to be doing to correct this problem in the first place? Right. So, you know, so I'm doing the fibers and all the things and, and I am taking not necessarily for that problem. I don't think unless it is going to help um, a couple of your products to kind of help me out in reestablishing things. So seeing as we don't have that much time left and we've been talking around this and acromancy has come up a couple of times and you have more than acromancy in your library of products, but acromancy is kind of like the golden child because I think acromancy has been elusive as a, as a strain to supplement to people. And obviously pendulum has taken an approach and made it available to supplement with so that you can do what we've been talking about. You can supplement and at the same time support so that over time you rebuild that capacity in the gut. So let's dive into acromancia, shall we? <laughs> let's talk. Sure. Yes. And um, I'm I'm aware of, of time, but maybe we'll talk about- I can of... keep going. So if you don't have okay. a stop, I can keep going just to say. Um, 
let, let's talk about two of the really important things that Acromancia does that are making it sort of starting to be called this keystone strain. So the first thing, um, and, and we sort of talked about this before, is it's only one of two strains that has ever been shown to be able to stimulate GLP-1 production. So the fact that it can increase GLP-1 um, is why it's it's started to really become highlighted in metabolism. So it helps stimulate insulin response. It helps you, you know, get that feeling of satiety. And so, um, and, and there've been papers showing, you know, it, it results in weight loss and all those things that kind of come along with a better improved metabolism. And because as we said, your ability to metabolize glucose is at the heart of longevity and healthy aging and health in general, um, acromancy is being called a keystone strain because of that. Now that is super important, gut metabolism, helping you metabolize, helping you produce GLP-1. But the other reason why acromancia is such a keystone strain and, and why we see it's depleted in so many different diseases ranging from stress and anxiety to metabolism to GI issues is because of what acromancia um, does kind of as its primary job. Mm -hmm. um, and what it does as its primary job is it restores your gut lining. It actually, it, it maintains your gut lining. So um your gut lining is sort of like a, a wooden fence. So I have a wooden fence in my backyard. It has all these planks that are held together by glue. When I first moved into my house, it, the fence was great. It was sturdy and strong and, and you know, uh, all of that. But what happens over time and through different weather and seasons is that those planks can start to weaken, that glue can start to weaken, and a plank can start to fall. Um, it's exactly the same in our gut lining. It starts out, we, we literally have these planks, these cells, and you literally have this glue. It's called mucin that holds them together. And what can happen over time and wear and tear is that that glue can start to thin, those cells can start to break, and you get what people are calling kind of leaky gut. Mm -hmm. And that's really problematic because it means that your gut lining has essentially holes in it. And so all the things that are being produced inside, they're supposed to say inside the gut are leaking out and, and kind of causing, you know, disarray in your inflammatory and immune responses, but then also things in your bloodstream are able to come in and that can lead to pathogens making their way into your gut microbiome where they're not supposed to be existing. And so you really, really want to have this strong gut lining. And acromancy is the only strain that is known that literally lives at your gut lining and all day and all night, all it does is it strips down the old glue when it gets old and puts up new glue. And so it keeps that fence really strong. And it's the only strain that's known to do that. And so that's the other reason it's a keystone strain because having that really strong gut lining is what enables all the other strains in the work that they're doing to actually be productive. And so um, that's why when people are on acromancia, they can experience benefits ranging from my GI improved, like I can now eat foods that I wasn't able to eat before to I lost weight or I my um, continuous glucose monitors tell me that my glucose spikes have gone down to I'm not craving sugars anymore and I'm able to resist, you know, wanting pasta, you know, three meals a day. Um, and so <laughs> to even people having reduced stress and anxiety, better sleep. And so when you say, well, how could one strain kind of really be involved in all these things? It's also it's not a panacea, but the reason it can be involved in all these things is because it is really your gut lining. It is the foundation of your home that you are enhancing that allows everything else to flourish. And so um, acromancia was only discovered about 
20 years ago. Um, and people have been studying it. Like you, if you look on PubMed at publications, you'll see there's like nothing on it. And then all of a sudden there's just this exponential increase. And that's because DNA sequencing allowed people to identify it. It was actually, you know, discovered by a professor at Harvard who started to understand its role in obesity. And so it's just been skyrocketing. And um, it's incredibly hard to manufacture because as you imagine, as a strain that lives in the gut lining and kind of removes glue and puts glue up, you're like, how do I grow this thing outside the context of the gut? Um, so it's actually been really hard to figure out how to manufacture. And that's one of the huge breakthroughs that we had was not only understanding the importance of this strain and helping to contribute to the massive amounts of wonderful data being generated by researchers around the world, but also to figure out, well, how do I grow this in a uh, you know regulated environment that allows me to put it into a product to help people? And how do I demonstrate that it actually has clinical efficacy for these patients? And um, that's been probably one of the most important contributions that we've been able to make as a company and that I'm super proud of and really excited to be able to bring to the general public. Yeah, no, that's, I, honestly, it's fantastic because for years I would hear about Acromantia, but you can't get it. Right. Like, okay, really? That's super helpful. Thanks so much for coming out. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, one of the one of the things that people talk about with Acromantia is it's, to your point, like it's very hard to manufacture. Is it also hard to keep it alive or viable? I don't know if alive is the right word, but is it difficult to keep it viable in the transit time between where when it leaves its birthplace in your lab and when it gets to the consumer's house because I've, I mean, I know like I was waiting for the box at the door, ran it to the fridge, threw it in the fridge, said, you're fine now. Um, but is that really like a big issue? Is is there, is, is progress being made in terms of helping it to remain stable and viable in transit? And is there such a thing about, because I know people talk about heat killed probiotics and they still have value. Um, and you've got a funny look on your face. You've got something to say about this, um, but go. <laughs> You go. Yeah. So, I mean, you're right that one of the challenges is not only growing acromancy, but also keeping it stable. And and we've been doing a lot of work on how to um, maintain the stability, but also the the, the activity of the strain. And um, it's, it's a pretty exciting time because we actually are just releasing a two-year shelf life stable version of acromancia, um, wow. which is now able to kind of, you don't have to be in panic mode waiting for the thing and putting <laughs> it. I mean, these things all last longer in the refrigerator, but this actually has a two-year shelf life stability. Um, so we are working on that. And I think that that is a challenge. It's, it's really hard because you're, you're, again, you're taking something outside of its normal conditions and trying to, you know, keep it alive until the person's able to ingest it. Um, on the heat killed, uh, um, strains, I, I only make a face because, um, you know, there are proteins on the market and peptides and they're super effective and, and that's great. Um, but if you're going to buy a probiotic, you're you're trying to buy something that's live and is actually producing something and doing something inside your gut. It's like, you know, would you rather buy a car that uh, is broken down and you can just get the parts or would you rather have a car that can actually get you from point A to point B? If your mm -hmm. goal is to get to point B, I would much rather have the functional car than just the parts. Right. And so that's what, for me, the, the heat killed strains are, are really like a way for people to get around trying to figure out how to stabilize the strains. Um, because if you get the full functioning car, you also get the tires that come with it and all the different parts. And so I really, you know, the, the, the heat killed strains for me are a little bit of a marketing ploy to force you to keep buying them. Like there's no way you're again, with the teaching your body, 
body to fish, you're not doing that. You're just delivering, you know, the, the final product. And I really do believe that if we can take these strains, get them to constitute our microbiome, eat the foods that feed them, you maybe don't have to be on the pills for the rest of your life. And so that's the goal is to kind of be able to live healthy. And if you're producing a product that somebody you know has to take for the rest of their life because you're not giving them the ability to actually colonize, I, I find that, um, you know, whatever, not a great product. Yeah, yeah, a little disingenuous. Um, ingenuous, I think is the right word, not ingenious. Both. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, that was a great answer. Thank you. And and that, you know, you're getting car parts versus the car. I don't need the car parts. Don't know how to build a car. Don't want to know. I just give me the car <laughs> so I can get from point A to point B. Um, and so, but you did answer another one of my questions in, in talking about that, in the idea that maybe people, once they've changed the diet, they've taken acromantia for a period of time, may be able to stop taking it for, for, I mean, maybe indefinitely or maybe for a period of time. And then you might notice, and I'm going to go out on a limb and you're still nodding, which is a good sign, but then you might notice, you know, cravings are starting to come back. You're starting to put on a little extra weight, like short of going out and spending a couple thousand dollars on another gut test to tell you something that can you feel, you know, is there, is there a time when you might say, you know, might be time for a little acromantia top up kind of thing, because for whatever reason, you weren't able to, to sustain it in your gut in spite of your best efforts. Absolutely. I mean, I really do think that if you can kind of jumpstart getting this, getting acromancy into your, your gut and, and getting it to colonize that you'll, you, and as I said, kind of very early in this conversation, you know, what's the problem that you're trying to solve? And so if you are experiencing, you know, this uh, reduced metabolism, energy loss, stress and anxiety, you know, all of these different things that we've sort of talked about along the way here, then taking this product should help you see an improvement in those. Um, and actually, if you're able to colonize it and have a diet that helps you maintain, and so particularly for acromancia, high polyphenol diet, polyphenols have been shown to be able to increase acromancia. So before, when you would read about acromancia and people would say, well, you can't really get it anywhere, they would say, oh, but you can ingest polyphenols and that helps acromancia grow. Um, that's true. So if you can um, have polyphenols in your diet and then also these um you know, certain types of fibers that might be able to be just good enough for you to be able to maintain your acromancia. Um, and then if you start experiencing some of those, you know, issues arising again, to your point, it might be time for a top up uh, of it. Um, I think that, you know, over time, because we do become depleted in acromancia from some of these things that are a little bit outside of our control, um, you might need to be, you know, on it to kind of replenish and then maybe, you know, maintain a good diet and then you might need to go on it again. But, you know, I'm not here to create a product that people become dependent on for the rest of their lives. I'm really here to create products that help people improve their health in ways that are meaningful to them that they can measure. And so I tell people this, like if you take it and you don't feel anything, don't stay on it. Like I'm not yeah. here to fleece you. And if you can take it and you can sustain it through great nutrition, go for it, do that. And so I think that's the, for me, you know, that's the goal of the company, the goal for what I want to contribute to this world. And so it's not about having something that people have to stay on forever, which is why I make snarky faces around people who <laughs> are doing that. Um, but, but really you could potentially, you know, not have to go on it again. Yeah. That's amazing. Or go on it periodically. Um, okay. Last question. Apple peel, apple peel and acromantia. Yes. Is that one of the fibers that <laughs> now you're flat out laughing? Um, well, you know, what's interesting is my in my infamous test, one of the things that showed up, which I was extremely dismayed about, was a mold that only grows on apples. And I don't eat apples. I use 
been using apple peel powder a lot over the last number of years. And now I do have a tendency to not throw things away. And maybe there's a bag that was open and it stayed at the cottage over the winter. And then I came back in the spring and then I started taking it again and maybe moisture got in and it, it grew this mold. I mean, like I can totally understand how it could happen. I'm not here to knock anything, but at the same time, do you have an opinion on is apple peel, these apple peel products, can they be helpful in helping acromancia to like, I think that if you, if you've lost your acromancia in your gut, you can give all the food that you want. It's not going to come back. Like you've got to reseed it at some point. Um, Cause the apple peel powder and the polyphenols even they themselves are not going to magically produce acromantia if it's not there in the first place. Yeah. I mean, if you have low levels of acromancia, you can boost it through these things. But if you have no levels of acromancia, it's true. There's never been a food found on earth that has acromancia in it. And so um, if you really don't have any, uh, yeah, to your point, you can't magically all of a sudden have it. I was only laughing because I don't think I've ever been asked this question about apple peels <laughs> and mold and, and acromancia. So that's a new one. You know, I, uh, and maybe I actually don't know. Okay. So um, I should go, I should go check that out uh, and, and get back to you with an answer on, these apple peel, especially the the powder form and, and yeah. what might be happening there. Yeah. Well, part of it was the protocol was to peel three to four apples every morning up to five. And I can tell you, your fridge, your fridge feels, fills up with peeled apples awfully fast. And you can only make so much apple crumble, apple pie, <laughs> applesauce before you start to think, and you're feeding your family all these apples without peels, which you've now been told you really need the peels. And so you feel disingenuous because you've taken away the fiber, you're feeding them the sugar, you know, all the things. And you're like, okay, I'm just going to buy the organic apple peel powder and I'm going to like solve this yeah, problem. That makes sense. For all. <laughs> so, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So anyway, thank you so much for going on down that little rabbit hole with me. Um, thank you for this. I think, um, thank you so much for taking the time to share all your wisdom with us because, um, that was a lot of information. So hopefully people sat and took notes and maybe they'll just have to listen to it a second time. Um, if anybody wanted to um, get their hands on the Pendulum Life Acromancia, you guys, there's two different links for you. There's one that I think is a landing page that somehow is associated with me. You can go to pendulumlife.com forward slash Natalie, Natalie with an H, N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E. Or you can just go to the Pendulum Life website and type in Nidam, my last name, N-I-D-D-A-M. And either way, you're going to get 20% off your order. So, or maybe your first order. So Colleen, why don't you let people know where else they can find you or more information and all that jazz. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I definitely encourage people to go to pendulumlife.com uh, where you can learn more information. So we have a lot of, you know, what is known about these strains? What's the science behind them? How are they different from the other stuff that's out there? What can you expect um, as you start to go on these? And then um, as you, when you purchase product, we also uh, have a newsletter, which helps you understand what to expect and what's the latest and greatest data and what are the right foods that you can be eating to help with your gut. And so all the goodies that we talked about here are information that we love to share with people. And so you can get Get that just by you know signing up on our newsletter. So pendulumlife.com is where you can learn about it. Um, and uh either going to pendulumlife.com slash Natalie uh or you know going to the website, you'll be able to get this 20% off your first bottle of membership um and then learn about you know other products that are that are out there. Um 
We also, if you're a healthcare practitioner, we have a specific part of our website, which is for you. And so there um, you can learn about uh, buying in bulk as well as the clinical trials that we're involved in. Uh, and so, and we really encourage anybody, this is a new field, the microbiome. And so if you have any questions, please reach out. Um, we're very serious about our customer experience and customer service. So, um, and are here to answer any questions that people have. Amazing. Colleen, thank you so much. This has been a total pleasure. Um, I really enjoyed speaking with you and I look forward to doing it again because as you said, new field, there's always going to be new information that uh, we're going to have to share. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Hey guys, before we wrap up today's episode, I want to thank everyone who has left a five-star rating and a review for the podcast. If you haven't yet left a rating and review and you love this episode, I would so appreciate it if you did. Each and every one truly helps the overall growth and success of the podcast, which allows me to continue to bring you more episodes and will help more people to optimize their health and longevity. All you have to do if you're on Apple or on Spotify is open up Apple Podcasts or Spotify and take two seconds to click your rating and leave even just a one word review. Thank you so much for your continued support and for tuning into today's episode. If you have any questions about the episode or any questions you would like me to answer on the podcast, always feel free to reach out on Instagram at Natalie Nidham. I wish you all the best this week in biohacking your superhuman performance. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.